It's time for You Heard It Here, the official podcast of Bucknell University Athletics. Get to know student-athletes, coaches, and more bison. Now here's your host, Doug Birdsong. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. We have a real treat for you. We welcome Bucknell's all-time leading men's basketball scorer and current National Basketball Association player, Mike Mascala, to the podcast. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I tell you what, um, you know, anytime somebody graduates from Bucknell and immediately enters into the, uh, you know, the world of work, it usually you have a pretty busy schedule. I tell you what, though, I think you may have topped everybody else, though, when you were drafted into the NBA. Go back to that time back in 2013, Mike. What was going through your mind as those days, weeks, months headed up to the uh, June draft? Yeah, it was a pretty... Uh crazy schedule for me then but it was a lot of fun um it was basically me um once our season had ended at Bucknell I went to Long Island to train uh with Jay Hernandez his name and um I found uh was connected to him through my my agent and Excel Sports Management so I would go there and, and train basically throughout the week and I was in touch with my professors and they were very understanding so I would kind of send things in remotely and then I would drive um, back into campus um, over weekends or on certain test days, finish everything up in my classes. And then once um, the, the semester was over, then I started, um, I think I went to like 14 different uh, teams to work out um, leading up to the draft in June and kind of traveled all over the country basically in a month leading up to it and then uh, watched the draft from uh, my or from my hometown uh, in Minnesota. Wow, that's a crazy schedule. <laughs> yeah. well, well, and then, of course, you get drafted, but you were drafted by the Mavericks. Did you know immediately at that time that it was all going to end up with you going to Atlanta? Uh, yeah, because Atlanta essentially traded for that pick, um, and I had known that they they – they had come to see me play, and Danny Ferry had seen me play in Lewisburg. I remember I had heard that during the season, and I worked out for them twice. It's actually a crazy story because I probably – I don't know what would have happened if this didn't happen, but um, I well, – they were part of, you know, like the original 14 workouts that me and, agent, me and my agent had set up that were scheduled, um, and they were, you know, you know kind of like halfway through it. And I remember like – it was like the third workout in four days for me. And I just like, you know, but everyone goes through it as players. It's just hectic. Anyways, my workout just did not go well whatsoever. Really, really bad. And I remember being kind of down about it because I knew they liked me. So fast forward, I finished my last scheduled workout. The draft is in like two days, I think. Um, and my agent calls me and he's like, hey, Atlanta wants to bring you back for another, for one more workout. And so it was like me Tim Hardaway Jr., Kelly Olenek, like a few other guys. And um, basically, like, we just had this impromptu workout, like, the day before the draft. Um, and I remember that was, like, my best workout that I had of all of them. So it was pretty wild. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like you said, you would you never know when something changes to kind of, you know, get a GM or a coach or somebody to like you, do you? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's kind of part of the process. Yeah, you just got to – go out and, and kind of be yourself, you know. And um, I remember we had, like, an interview 
at the combine in Chicago, uh, the, the Hawks and I, um, and I just felt like, you know, they were like the only, them and the Kings were the only teams that I had talked to there. And I just remember with, with, uh, Atlanta, it just seemed like a very genuine, like, you know, we feel like we connected well. And I think that was what I took from the process was just to go out and play hard, um, but just be yourself, you know? Well, you know, you didn't immediately go to play for the Hawks. You ended up going to Spain. How did all that come about, and how did that time in Spain, uh, you know, on the team, but also the experience of living there overseas for that time, how much did that shape you as a, a player but also as a person, Mike? Oh, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I, I um, at first, I'd be lying if I said that I was, thrilled about it because you know I wanted to to stay and I wanted to play in the NBA and that was you know I was my my hope during the whole you know pre-draft process and once I got selected and, and on the Hawks and then played summer league with them um but you know they were they were you know they were big fans of the the game in, in Europe and um they felt like it would be a good experience for me so um yeah I ended up signing with uh with Obradorio, the team's name there in Santiago de Compostela, Spain. It's like three, four hours north of Portugal. Um, and, I mean, it was just an awesome experience. They have the best fans. Uh, you know, they there was no big soccer team there. And, you know, soccer's so big in Spain. So they really love their basketball. And I um, only played one game a week when I was there because um, they weren't in, like, the EuroLeague or EuroCup. And so it was a ton of practice time, um, and it was just a really interesting experience. You know, the food is so different. I also uh, I studied Spanish at Bucknell, and I, but I never got to travel abroad or study abroad because basketball kind of fell between both semesters. So it was um, like a kind of a chance for me to use that that Spanish, and um, yeah, just just a really fun, really fun time when I look back on it with the rabid fan base that they had over there, did it almost remind you of playing back at Bucknell? I mean, they would have been a little bit more rabid than the Bucknell fans, but I mean, that kind of close knit type of uh, atmosphere between the fans and the players. Yeah, for sure. It did. Yeah. Um, you know, the people of the city there, in Santiago de Compostela, um, you know, felt like similar to Lewisburg where they had a real passion for the game and they had an understanding of the game too, you know, and they had an appreciation for it. So it was really fun to play for them. Of course, you were only there really in, in essence, a short time. Then the Hawks, they had some injuries and they called you up and stuff. What immediately went through your mind when now, even after a few months and you're kind of getting used to living in Spain for that short amount of time, they contact you and say, Hey, we want you in the NBA. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I've told this story a few times, but, um, yeah, they had some injuries and, uh, basically my agent had told me, like, it was like in, I think February. So it was late in the year. And, um, he, he, uh, we kind of been in touch and he kind of threw out the possibility that they might want to, you know, try to work out a deal with me. Um, but you know, I was invested in the season in Spain. We were, you know, playing pretty well and I was playing pretty well and I really, you know, enjoyed my time there, but at the same time, you know, playing the NBA was always a dream for me, but, uh, it, I just didn't know how it was going to play out. So basically 
it got to the point where my agent then called me one night and was like, well, this is a real thing. Like they want to do this and, and here's the deal um, that they're offering. And I remember I was at like a teammate's house in Spain and I was just like, it was at night. And I was like, I mean, I can't decide right now. Like, can I sleep on it? And he was like, no, you have to decide like right now, basically. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> um, so I like stepped outside and I was like, all right, let's do it. You know? Um, and I be- I basically left. I mean, I met with the coaching staff there the next day and told them it was pretty emotional, um, you know, but they were understanding and, and I left the next day basically. Wow. That, that is crazy. Did it help at all having a former bison great like Charles Lee on the staff with Atlanta to at least give you some, you know, cause you're flying from overseas to Atlanta and then joining an NBA team. Did it at least give you some kind of uh, anchor, I guess, to have somebody who knew about Bucknell and stuff. Uh, well, Charles Lee, Charles Lee wasn't an assistant coach yet then, <laughs> but I tell you what did help. Um, I'm sorry. He wasn't an assistant with the Hawks yet then, but, um, I'll tell you what, what did help was J.R. Holden, um, who I just saw in Brooklyn a few days ago, but he was so helpful. He let me stay at his condo in Atlanta for the remainder of that season. I mean, um, Coach Flannery had gotten us in touch, and it was just like, I mean, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that, and I, I tell him that every time I see him, but he's a... It was just so cool of him to to let me do that because it was kind of that phase of like, you know, I was there for basically like the last month or two of the season and I didn't have really time to look for a place. I didn't know my future really held there with Atlanta. And so it was really, really, really nice of him. Wow, that is an awesome story. It really does go to show that Bucknell, you know, students, but student athletes, basketball players in particular, Mike, they're all one and the same no matter when you graduate, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, especially as as the you know time goes on, you realize how how special and how important you know our time at Bucknell was together. And I think that that whether we played together or not, you know, while at Bucknell, you know, I think we all just have that appreciation and respect for one another, and that you know that that goes a long way. No doubt, no doubt. Well, you, you, of course, did end up spending a number of years with the Hawks. What did you learn during your time playing you know, with Atlanta? Oh, uh, I learned a lot. Um, you know, Coach, coach Bud is a phenomenal coach, and um, you know, I got a chance to play with some really, really great players uh, in a great organization and a city that, you know, I ended up living in for four and a half years. So I got to know the city quite well and made some great friendships. Um, I'm also lucky enough to play back with Dennis Schroeder now in Oklahoma City. Him and I were drafted together, you know, the same year to the Hawks. So I um, spent, you know, almost five years together there. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of memories there. Uh, we, I was, you know, I was on some good teams there. We had some really fun times. We were close knit, um, you know, just all all across the board. You know, and the training staff, um, the coaching staff. I mean, ownership. Like, just a lot of lot of good memories there. I mean, that's forever where first NBA experience was. So, um, always a good time whenever I go back to Atlanta now too. 
That's cool. That's good that your first experience was a good one because that isn't always the case, obviously, with any job, you know, particularly in the NBA. And you were with the Hawks all the way through, I guess, July of last year, um, part of a trade that came about and you got sent to Philadelphia. So, you know, the Hawks had kind of changed their philosophy some and they maybe, you know, were trying to build on some young talent and so forth. So they probably weren't going to make the playoffs but you immediately are thrown into a situation with Philadelphia where they're not only expecting to make the playoffs that year, but expecting to do well, and you're in the rotation, major minutes. What was that like? You know, talk a little bit about that complete change in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a change. Um, you know, I that summer I kind of had a feeling that I maybe was going to get traded. Um, but I wasn't obviously sure where, and I was. It was I was back in Minnesota, my house, and I <clears throat> was taking a nap. And I remember, like the day before, there had kind of been a rumor about this proposed trade, but I honestly just didn't think much of. It. Anyways, woke up from the nap, and I had like twenty text messages and like seven missed calls, <laughs> mostly from the agent. He was like. You're like you're gonna be the last person to find out that you got traded, but yeah, you got traded to the Sixers. So um, it was crazy, you know. I was like still wiping my eyes from waking up, and I was like, well, well, there you go. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a it was a fun time in Philly. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot from that too, and um, you know, getting a chance to to be a little bit closer to, to Bucknell and, and have you know some connections there and. And Philly through Bucknell, too, was nice. Well, that brings up a great point, too, Mike. When a trade happens in the NBA, I mean, apparently you would have, if you wouldn't have been, if you wouldn't have been taking a nap, you would have gotten a little bit more heads up. But there isn't a whole lot of warning. Does a GM, an owner, a coach contact you first? Or, or do you end up hearing it through the grapevine? I think it depends, you know, and hearing other players' stories, too. Um, in my case, um, like when I got traded from Atlanta, Philly, I heard from my agent first, but then when I got traded from <clears throat> Philly to the Los Angeles Clippers, I heard from the GM Elton Brand first. Uh, so it just depends. And uh, you hear some guys who, you know, who read about it on Twitter or something, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a breaking news source. So I guess it all just kind of depends. Well, then, you know, last year you were part of another trade. Um, you initially were traded to the Clippers, but a day later, the other L.A. team, the Lakers, was that even a little bit more head-spinning than maybe what went down between the Hawks and the Sixers? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was really crazy, too. Um, you know, I uh, was basically um, – like after one of our games in Philly, uh, I was up. You know, after the game, I usually can't sleep right away. And thought Elton Brand was calling. So it was around that time of the trade deadline. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, <laughs> that's probably what this means. Um, and so, yeah, I got, uh, was part of a, you know, a trade that sent me to the Clippers. And then, um, so me, Wilson Chandler, and Landry Shamit got on a plane the next day to go take our physicals in Los Angeles for the Clippers took the physicals and then the, and then the next day the plan was to fly to Boston um, to meet the Clippers in Boston. Cause we were playing the Celtics and so me and Landry were going through PSA like security 
and there's an hour left of the trade deadline and we're at LAX airport and my agent calls uh, again. I, I see it and basically answer and he's like, yeah, you got traded again, but to the Lakers <laughs> in the same city. So I was like, wow, okay, this is crazy. So I basically just said goodbye to Landry. Like, you know, he was waiting to check his bags in or waiting to go through security. I went to go back and like, get my bay that I had like checked in to put underneath the plane. And I basically just kind of waited around LAX for like an hour or two until I figured out what the plan was going forward. But I mean, it was just a whirlwind time. It was so crazy. Um, but I wouldn't, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was, it was really, you know, looking back, it's, it's a story to tell. And I, I learned so much from all of it, but it was definitely a wild ride. How neat was it to play? I mean, I know LeBron was hurt a lot of that time, but how neat was it just to be around somebody like LeBron James, who everybody in the world knows? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's an amazing player. Obviously, he's an amazing person, um, and you know, I grew up watching him um, as, as all young players do. Uh, so, you know, to be around and to play with him, um, I mean. It was it was awesome just to see him work day in and day out, um, and you know obviously there were some injuries that happened with the team when I was there, and things didn't quite work out. But uh, it was you know it was it was really really special to get a chance to play with him. Well, you just brought up a good point too, Mike. I mean, in that whole whirlwind, you're getting ready to board a plane with a guy who you had kind of become friends with, I'm guessing Landry, um, and and now he's flying off to the East Coast. You're still in LAX. How tough is it? Is it difficult playing for a team one day, then having to kind of learn a whole new system, a whole new coaching staff, and a whole new set of guys? What are the challenges of kind of getting integrated into a new team? Yeah, you know, it, uh, it was my first experience getting traded at the deadline. So I think that, you know, it was, it was interesting for me because, it's different than getting traded in the summer, you know, like if you getting traded in the summer is like you basically almost feel like you would just sign with the team, you know? And so like, you're still new, but there's probably some other new guys as well. You know, there's um, maybe some rookies in there, some other freedoms that they've signed. But when you get traded at the deadline, you know, I guess it depends on each scenario, but sometimes you may be the only new player on the team, you know? And that wasn't my case, but um, like you, it's just like you, you join a team that's been together, you know, since since training camp. And so it's just kind of interesting because you are, um, you know, you're put into a new situation. you got to learn, you know, the offense, the defense, obviously. And, but then just kind of like learn, you know, how, how the organization works in a way. But I, I found it very valuable because I was able to see, you know, a lot of differences in, in organizations and, and, and all different things, how all things work. And I, and I um, you know, it was kind of – I hadn't seen much of that in Atlanta since it was always the same, you know, for me. And, and um, so it was kind of – you know, looking back, I feel like I learned a lot from the whole process. Well, that also brings up another good point, Mike. You know, because you have so many different – you have some guys who are married. You have some guys who are rookies who are just coming in. You have someone like yourself, a vet. Do you get to make friends with players, or is the competition so great that it's tough to make friends because everybody's trying to get everybody's job, or is it not that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's kind of a mix um, in reality. Uh, I think – you know, the the more that obviously you can 
foster a, a, a culture and an environment where um, you know you're you're getting you're truly getting to know your teammates and and just wanting the best for the team and, and just focusing on on winning. I think that that that's you know in my experience the best um, you know cultures to be a part of and whether that's professional or college or whatever, you know, and, and because it's just like, it, it's a trickle down effect for all your teammates. But uh, I think, you know, when it turns professionally in the NBA, um, you know, it, it just, uh, I would say it's a mix, you know, I think like winning is the most important thing, obviously, but you know, obviously like your stats, you know, determine a lot as a player too, in terms of like your, your, your livelihood as, as an athlete and as, as your career, you know? So it's, it's kind of a, an interesting experience because as a, as a real world, you know, like professional athlete and, um, like it, and now it's like your job and, and it's, it becomes different a little bit, you know, obviously than, than playing in college. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a journey in a, in a, in a experience that I've found so fascinating, um, in terms of that. That's really cool. Is it almost, are you almost scared to become friends with somebody? Because if you get too close to them, they may be shipped out or you may be shipped out to a different team a month later. Yeah. Another good question. Yeah, that definitely happens. Um, I think you have to try to break down that vault wall as much as you can and not let that, you know, deter you from, from trying to get to know, you know, the guys on your team and, and spend time together. But, but you're right. <clears throat> I mean, that, Sometimes you become a little bit, um, you become affected by that if you've moved around a little bit, or you see guys around you get moved around. You know that you maybe become close to. It's not easy, you know, because you become close to them. You spend, I mean, during the season, you spend so much time together. You know, constantly on on the team plane. You know, obviously practice games, just all the time. So, you, you know, you 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 definitely have that feeling of like. Especially when the you know the trade deadline's coming up, you kind of like, well, not really sure quite what will happen. But then I think, I think I've learned like this year as it's gone on, because I would say earlier in the year I was feeling that way quite a bit. But that it's like, I don't know, you just you become more grateful for those situations where you feel like you really can get to know guys, and you do, and you are spending more time in a, in a certain organization because you know that it's not promised in the NBA. You know, I I learned that from going through it. Um, it's not it's not promised, and that's part of the job, and that's what we all signed up for. Nah, great point. Well, you know, uh, you had mentioned a little bit earlier about in the summer, you have, if you get to pick a team, and you did with Oklahoma City, it's a little bit, hopefully a little bit easier on the transition. You did pick Oklahoma City when you were a free, free agent at the end of last year. What went into your decision? Uh, what did you like about that organization there? Oh, uh, I had heard. I had always heard really good things about the organization. I had worked out for the Thunder in, the, in my pre-draft process, I mean, years ago. But um, you know, I had always heard of of the work that Sam Presti had done and and the culture he created. Uh, and you know, hearing that this summer that they were interested in me uh, was was exciting for me. And um, also, I know that Dennis Schroeder was playing there. Who was a guy that uh, you know I had played. We had played together in Atlanta for for almost five years, um, and was a great friend of mine. You know, that I, a true friend that I had made from 
from my playing experience. And you don't, you know, you don't find that too often in the NBA with these guys moving around so much. So anyway, I just knew, I knew those two things. And when Sam came out and, and visited me in Minnesota and we talked, um, everything about, about the conversation just went well. And, uh, you know, I, I'm super grateful that they had their, their interest in me and, and we came to a deal. Well, at the time we recorded this, you had a really good game in the last game Oklahoma City played against Minnesota, your home state team, I guess. Um, are you feeling more comfortable as this season is going along, working and, and playing with the Thunder? Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I think our coaching staff here is, is phenomenal, um, you know, across the board uh, and in the training, training staff. Uh, the development staff. Um, I'm really uh, happy to be able to get to work with them day in and day out. And there's good guys on the team too, you know. And uh, I think that collectively, we've as the season has gone on, we've just become more and more comfortable with each other, and we're we're having fun out there. And I think you know, even hearing players from other teams comment that say that um, I can hear them say that that. It's like we're having fun, and that that's fun, you know, because you don't. Um, it's not always promised in, in this in this game. So um, right now things are good. That's awesome, and and the team is playing well. Does that help too? I mean, just help everybody to have fun. Yeah, you know, obviously when you when you play well, <laughs> things are generally more, more fun. But I would say that, like in this sense, it just feels kind of like. Um, you know, there's a little bit of that. You know, when you're kind of on a team, when it's like, obviously, when when you're winning, things are always gonna feel good. But it's kind of, you know, when you're on that team and the feeling of like, you know, we kind of got each other on and off the court in a way, and we're kind of getting to know each other on and off the court, and, and it gives that feeling of like, you know, you can go out there and, and compete at a higher level. I think because there's more of a sense of like we got each other's backs, you know, win or lose. And obviously, you're always gonna try to win, of course, but. Just kind of have that more of that feeling and understanding of one another that that became you become a little more close knit, um, and then I think that becomes you know it becomes you end up seeing a good product on the floor because of that. Of course, Coach Donovan came from a college background, although he's been in the NBA as a head coach for a number of years now. Do you almost feel like this year's Oklahoma City team, Mike, may have a college feel to it? <clears throat> um. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, uh, I will say playing for the fans here, too, is awesome. Um, you know, we're the Thunder, the only you know major um, sports league team here. And, I mean, I've yet to play in a place where, I mean, their attendance and support for the team here is amazing, you know, night in and night out. Because there's a lot of games during the NBA season, you know, like in – in mid-January, like we are now, where it's just like, you know, it becomes those, they call it the, kind of the dog days of the league, where, you know, there might be a game on like a Tuesday night, and, you know, obviously, and understandably so, the attendance is not so great at home, but here, I mean, I've, I've never seen it like this. It's always, always good, and it's always rocking in Chesapeake Arena, so that makes it really fun as a player to be a part of that. Obviously, Bucknell had a pretty special moment in that arena, too, but that's beside the point. Until you and yeah. CJ until you and CJ McCollum of Lehigh fame, until you guys, there was really only one player from the Patriot League who had gone on to have a really good career in the NBA. 
is it a little, looking back on a little weird that you two played at the exact same time and both of you are in the National Basketball Association? Yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. Um, yeah but those were those were fun years. You know, I think, uh, <clears throat> I know he fueled me to be a better player and uh, I think, like, as, as teams, uh, we kind of, are the battles that we had, I think, fueled you field one another too you know uh they're obviously a great team and um you know throughout those four years that I, that I was there and I think you know we we went back and forth each year in terms of winning so uh those are like I think we really pushed each other during those times I'm, I'm super grateful for that do you think that maybe you all have opened the door in some ways to where some really good basketball players who want that quality education that a Patriot League school offers now doesn't feel it's a detriment to go to a Patriot League school. You know, you have Malcolm Miller. He's with the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Andre Ingram, who played actually towards the end of Coach Lee's career. He was a freshman, a youngster then. So, I mean, you have other Patriot League guys. Do you think you guys have opened the door in some ways to the NBA? Um, I mean, yeah, that would be, you know, that would be, you know, cool to hear and honored to say that. I think that Donald Foyle, when I think about it, you know, was, was a big part of that. I remember reading his story um, and uh, reading like a book he had wrote. And um, I mean, also Jared Holden reading, reading his story. He, he sent us an autobiography that he had done uh, when I was playing at Bucknell. And I remember I couldn't wait to read it. I was just, you know, fascinated by, you know, a guy who, um, you know, he had such a successful career overseas. And when I went to Bucknell, I was not, not even thinking about playing professional basketball. You know, if it happened, cool. But I was just so excited to get a chance to go to Bucknell. Um, you know, it was a kid from, you know, suburban, you know, <laughs> Minneapolis, Twin Cities area. Like, I just, to go to Bucknell, I was talking to my parents about it, like, you know, a few weeks ago, um, it was just like a whole new world for me, you know, and um, to get a chance to, to study there with those professors and, and my peers and then also compete at a basketball at a high level. Like for me, that was that was everything there you know, for me. So uh, I don't I don't view it as 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 me creating open that door. I think it was already open, you know, by the, the grades that, that came before. That's a great way of putting it. Well, you know, you graduated, Mike, like seven years ago, and I know you came back a couple of summers ago, you and Bryson Johnson and stuff for your summer uh, class reunion, but are you amazed at how quickly time has flown by? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely amazed by it, yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was really cool to be back on campus then, and I'm looking forward to it here in, in about a month. Um, I haven't seen a game in, in Soika uh, been in the stands for one, and I'm trying to I'm trying to remember, but I think maybe my my like official visit as a <laughs> when I was this was probably like in I mean 2009. So I mean I could be wrong on that, but I mean it's been a long time. So I'm super thrilled to be back on campus and you know seeing some of the the changes that have been made when I was there two years ago were really awesome to see, and uh, it'll just be really really fun to be back. Well, that brings up a great point because February 15th, you are going to have your jersey retired during the uh, festivities there uh, surrounding the American Bucknell game that day. 
How, what was it like when Todd Newcomb, I presume it was Todd who called you, called you and said, Hey, we would like to do that for you, Mike. Uh, it was actually coach Davis who called me, uh, which was super cool. And, um, you know, he broke the news and yeah, super honored. Uh, you know, it, it means a lot. Um, uh, but it, you know, to me, I guess it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. It just got me thinking about all the, the people I was really fortunate to work with and get to know during my time there, you included Doug, you know, everyone that, uh, at, at Bucknell that, that I got, I don't know, got a chance to, to spend time with and, you know, teammates, everyone included, basically, it's just, it's going to be fun to, 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 to say those thanks and to kind of celebrate that, um, in a month on campus. So I'm really looking forward to it. Do you think you're going to get emotional? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because it, you know, it really was just, uh, just a four years that, that, that really shaped my life, you know? And I think as, as time goes on and I, and like you said, time goes by so fast, you know, and, um, I mean, graduated in 2013, now being 2020, I, as time goes on, I really do become even more and more appreciative every year and realize how much I really did learn while I was there. And so I'm, I'll definitely get emotional, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it in a way because I get to get to share that with my, with my family who will be out there, um, and some friends too. So it'll be fun. Uh, we are all looking forward to it. And I'm not just talking Bucknell, but all the people in central Susquehanna Valley. It's going to be so great seeing you there. Before we let you go, though, Mike, I know you still have a, this year, another year on your contract with Oklahoma City. Have you even thought down the road? Are you thinking, hey, I wouldn't mind re-upping with Oklahoma City or staying in the NBA? Or do you just kind of let things go the way they go? Yeah, I think I just kind of let them go how they go. Uh I think, um, you know, I, I love, I really love basketball and, um, but there's, you know, I, I think I just kind of, like I said, when I was at Bucknell, I was never thinking playing professionally. It kind of just happened, you know, and, um, I'm, I'm super grateful for my, for my opportunity here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in here, you know, and this is, this is my job right now. And, but I think what, what Bucknell really fostered and what Coach Paulson, uh, I think, really fostered at Bucknell that um, I'll forever be grateful for is that, you know, it, there's a lot more, there's more to life than basketball. And um, I think that not all, you know, not all universities, maybe you have that same experience. And, and he was always, he would always say, like, you know, he would put his both his hands up and his left hand and be like, you know, academics are right here. And then just like right below that, he put his other hand and be like, but basketball is just right there. You know, it's right next to it. And I always thought that was really cool. So I guess I kind of took that, that view into life as, as I graduated. And, um, and so I don't really know what the future holds, but right now I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity and I'm loving my time here. So we're just going to take it a day at a time. That's awesome. Well, before we let you go again, is there anything that I may have missed um, that you'd like me to kind of talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, no, nothing comes to mind, but I just want to say thank you for for taking your time and doing this interview. It was nice to chat with you and hear your voice, and I uh, look forward to, to seeing you on campus. 
Oh, man. And the feeling is completely mutual, Mike. I, you are such a great person, first and foremost. Don't ever forget that. A great representative here of Bucknell Basketball, Bucknell University, but this whole area. And I think that, uh, you know, come that, that part in February in the American game, everybody's going to be able to pay you back for the great individual you are. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I say the same thing about you, Doug, and my parents always enjoyed hearing your calls for the games, and, um, you know, I, I'm i honored. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing Mike Miscala coming up for the American game there on February 15th. That will do it for this segment. Big thanks to Mike Miscala. We will have our next segment coming up in just one moment. <laughs> Our next segment of the You Heard It Here podcast focuses on one of the current head coaches here at Bucknell University. This time, it is head women's soccer coach Kelly Cook. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me today, Doug. You know, you are a fascinating individual because you have a different perspective than many of our other coaches, and we'll get to that here in a sec. But first things first, obviously you're a soccer coach. You played soccer in college. Were you always a big fan of soccer? Yeah, soccer um, throughout my life has played a huge role in, in my development from an early age. It was the first sport I ever played um, and uh, something I fell in love with very quickly. Started playing with boys and continued playing with boys for quite a long time and um, played you know all different levels of high school club and uh, Olympic development program and you know it was just something I, I grew passionate about and I even started uh, coaching at a young age, working camps um, over the summer, working at our local indoor soccer center so um, it was something that played a huge role in my life so far. Did you play other sports in high school? I did. I, um, I played uh, uh, basketball um, four years at the high school level and then I also played um, a lacrosse and uh, I ran track early on and, and switched over to lacrosse later on. <laughs> Smart decision. <laughs> when you take a look at your background and, and growing up in upper uh, part of the New York State area did you look at a lot of different schools when you were thinking of playing college soccer? Yeah, originally, um, you know, I started out my college search process and was looking at some, you know, bigger conferences, um, some bigger schools, you know, some ACC schools, and um, looking actually to look uh, to maybe attend a school down south. And, you know, as I was going through the process, I had an assistant coach for my high school team who actually went to Lehigh, who turned me on to some of the higher academic schools. Um, so I started to look at some of the Ivy Leagues um, and Patriot League. And um, kind of with her guidance, uh, you know, I, I did stumble upon Colgate and uh, really, you know, thought it would be a good fit for me both uh, academically and, and also playing-wise. Uh, you know, I wanted to be an impact player, and it was a good fit for me and, and my um uh, to further my playing career. Of course, it wasn't too awful far from where you grew up, too. Would that also kind of play a part in your decision? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think at the end I was down to, you know, Cornell and Colgate, and um, Colgate had a very strong soccer uh, program at the time, and, um, you know, it was something that I think that originally I wanted to go pretty far from home and, and get away, and, and then I thought, man, it would be pretty awesome if my parents could come and see see all the games, and, and so I think that, you know, my decision changed over as I as I grew closer to having to make it. And looking back, are you 
proud, happy that that decision was and, and was indeed the correct one? Uh, absolutely love my experience. You know, I think um, both from an academic perspective, um, I was challenged in the classroom. I had fantastic professors. Um, I enjoyed the small liberal arts school um, experience um, and, and also that athletic community um, at, at a school that, you know, is about, you know, 3,000 students. Um, but Division One athletics, um, so I think that you know that all those pieces added up to an awesome experience, and ultimately what led me to get into coaching um, and to also you know be in that environment, which I've I've pretty much stayed in through my coaching career, that small liberal arts, high academic environment that I so enjoyed um, in my time in, in college. And you had so much success. I mean, multiple time named All Patriot League tournament MVP your senior year. The team had a ton of success. You know, continued that success that they were enjoying before you even kind of came on the scene. Um, you probably had a lot of fun. Was there any moment or anything in particular that stood out during your four years? And it may be a championship or you being named tournament MVP or maybe something else. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there was so many great moments on the field. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed with my teammates and, um, you know, we beat Arizona in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which was a, a huge win for the program and the Patriot League as well to upset, you know, a, a PAC, uh, at the time, PAC-10 uh, opponent and, and to advance to the second round was an amazing experience. But really the experiences, the memories that stand out are, are those ones that, you know, aren't in the record books that are in the locker room, on the bus rides, um, you know, enjoying those times with my teammates and, and those special memories that, you know, you, you kind of forget the scores of some of the games, but um, those are the memories that stick with you. Are you still friends with your former coaches and, and players too? Yeah, um, uh, former coaches I'm still very close with, including Kathy at Colgate and, and a lot of my teammates who are spread around the U.S. and even abroad. And, um, you know, we we try to stay in touch. It's tough with our busy lives, but, um, you know, it, it's something that, you know, you, you always have those memories shared. So even if it's a while since you get back all together, the, it, it's like you weren't apart for very long. Are you the only one who went into coaching? Uh, yes, I am the only one from my, uh, from kind of my team era. Um, you had some success against Bucknell during your time. I mean, not only Colgate as a team, but you too. Um, do you even look back at that? Is it kind of ironic you're coaching Bucknell, but you the team had some success against the Bison, but you did against most every Patriot League school, really? Um, you know, I think that it was, um, you know, we had some great games. I can remember playing um, on what now is the C practice field, was the game field. Um, so I remember some games up there, and then we I also had the, the privilege of playing in the beautiful Emmett Stadium when it first opened. Um, so, you know, great memories from that. And, and uh, Chrissy Finley, who it works here now at Bucknell, was the coach at the time. Um, and now it's it's fun because I get to work with her um, in admissions. Um, so it, having that relationship previously kind of as an opposing coach and now getting a chance to work her, with her is a really awesome experience. You know, coming in as a, a student athlete from a different institution, what was your first impression about Emmett Field and home stadium? Oh, 
fantastic facility. I mean, I can remember going there as a as a student athlete and just being so impressed with the quality of the stadium and, and the field and, and just the whole atmosphere and environment for college soccer. And, you know, that's one of the things that drew me here as a coach was I, I can remember what a first-class uh, student-athlete experience that was. And, you know, on the flip side now, being a coach that gets to call that our home, you know, having our players have the, you know, opportunity to play on such a, a quality stadium is is an awesome, awesome thing for our student-athletes. And it's something that, you know, it's definitely a draw for both, you know, myself, but also for when we're in the process of recruiting student-athletes to Bucknell. You know, you mentioned earlier about really even as a youngster kind of being helping out as a coach or something and then how Colgate shaped you into becoming a coach if you would not have gone to Colgate if you would have gone down south to a bigger program an SEC ACC whatever program um, do you think you would have been a head coach now do you think the early years shaped you enough that even if you would have been in a big environment bigger school you might have still been a coach um you know I think I probably would have stayed involved in, in coaching in some some way, whether it would have been high school or club. But, you know, my experience at Colgate, you know, I, I unfortunately had a couple injuries in my career. And in those injuries, um, you know, Kathy, you know, kind of challenged me to see the game from a different lens, from a, from a coaching lens. And she kind of put planted the seed, I guess, um, in my head about, you know, potentially going into college athletics. I kind of had my, you know, sight set on high school teaching and coaching a high school team or a club team. And, and she kind of opened up my eyes to a career in, at the collegiate level. Um, and through those injuries, I got a chance to, I uh, helped out a little bit in the office with some of the paperwork and recruiting and, and kind of keep me busy, probably keep my mind um, in a good place. And, and that kind of turned me on to the career and, and then connected me with a, actually a Colgate alum at Amherst College um, who's currently there now still, um, Jen Hughes. And, um, you know, that was my first opportunity um, post-college to get my, um, you know, feet wet in, in, the, in the profession. And so, you know, I think that the alumni connection was a huge piece and in, in also the development that I kind of when I had that opportunity when I was injured to, to help out with the program and, and see the game in a little bit of a different lens, not from a student-athlete perspective, as more of a kind of a looking through a coaching lens. That's interesting. As a coach now, um, do you try and convey that to your student-athletes, or is it different because they're focusing on playing, they aren't injured, um, and so it's just a little different? Yeah, no, I think we've had a few student-athletes, though, that have expressed some interest in getting involved in the game and in coaching at, at some levels. Um, you know, uh, former goalkeeper Jessica Ratner has done some coaching um, at the high school level, and, um, you know, I, I enjoy seeing players go on. Krista Matlock, who I did not have the opportunity to coach, um, is currently the head coach up at Penn College, and she's come in and work some camps for us and clinics and I enjoy you know having great conversations about um, coaching with her and so you know for me I would love to mentor um, more student athletes if, if coaching is a passion um, even if they don't want to do it full-time for a job but to get back involved in the game whether it's at a club or high school level or um, you know whatever level they want to coach at but you know we've had some players and I hope to have some more in the future. <laughs> That'd be really cool I know you do great with a mentoring them and so forth. Uh, you mentioned about Amherst. You got that break there. They had some 
excellent teams when you were there, and then you got to move to the Division One level at Dartmouth, and they had some great teams. You've been surrounded by great teams. You're obviously a big part of it, but have you felt fortunate, blessed to have come to areas where success was expected? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for important part for me when I'm looking at, you know, possible job moves is, is that, uh, that culture, um, and that, um, competitive level. Um, and I think the places I've been fortunate enough to work, the student athletes are a very driven group, both in the classroom and on the field. And, um, you know, for me, I, I, I really value the student athlete that, you know, expects and, and demands high expectations um, from themselves, but from also those um, around them. And and I think that I've been lucky and, and in those situations, both or all at all three institutions, Amherst, Dartmouth, and um, now Bucknell, to just work with that high-level um, student-athlete. Now, those both those places, how did they shape you as an individual and, and ultimately as a coach? Yeah, I think uh, one of the um, pieces of my professional development has been I've worked for a lot of head coaches. Um, at Amherst, I was the assistant um, women's lacrosse coach, and I worked for a woman, um, Chris Paradis, who um, has been there I, I, over 30 years, won a national championship. And, um, you know, I, I, lacrosse wasn't my passion, but coaching was, and I learned a lot about coaching through her. Um, through Jen as well uh, as um, the assistant women's soccer coach at Amherst. And then in my time at Dartmouth, I actually worked for three different head coaches. Um, so before I arrived at Bucknell, I think I was really fortunate um, to have worked for five different head coaches and the importance of learning from each of them, what their strengths were and, and what things maybe I would have done differently, um, sometimes just as important. Um, but having the opportunity to have, you know, five mentors to have worked under and, and to, to have learned from um, in, in relatively a short time um, at two institutions, I think, um, you know, really helped me in this role as a, as a first-time head coach um, is to take little bits from all the people that I was able to work for um, in my time as an assistant coach. Did you, as you were at Dartmouth and you had so much success, did you think, you know, I could be an assistant forever? Or did you always have that idea down the road, I want to be a head coach? Yeah, I really enjoyed my time as an assistant. And, and I think that, you know, if the right opportunity hadn't presented itself, I would have remained an assistant at Dartmouth for longer. Um, but, you know, I was passionate about the Patriot League as a student athlete. And when the opportunity at Bucknell came upon um, it, to return to the Patriot League, um, to know the type of student athlete um, I would have the opportunity to work with was really appealing. And, you know, there is a part of me that always wanted a chance to run my own program and, and you know, uh, learn in in a different lens as a head coach. So I think that you know, the the move here was was a great one, um, and, and something uh, for sure a goal that I, I would wanted to kind of pursue. Were you surprised when you got the, you were picked and when you got the job, or did you feel hey I have a really good chance at this? I, I thought I had a really good chance just based on my background of being a former Patriot League student athlete and and having you know my time at both Amherst and Dartmouth, which are you know some way similar institutions in in regard to the high academic profiles of the institutions. Um, but at the same time, I recognize I you know I 
was you know fairly young still and and didn't have that head coaching experience and sometimes to get your first head coaching experience you need that experience and and that doesn't that always that can make it challenging but um you know I, I really enjoyed the time that I spent on my interview with Maisha and uh, Kelly and also John Hart and you know I I thought that um, it was definitely somewhere I could see myself and was just really fortunate and, and happy that they were willing to take a chance on uh, a young female that didn't have that head coaching experience. You proved them right, Kelly. I mean, your very first team made it to the championship. Um, were you, I don't know if surprised the right word, but were you surprised, I'll use that word, how well things went from day one, basically? Um, uh, to some degree, yes. Um, but you know, one of the things on my interview and I, I tell the alums this all the time is, um, one of the important parts of my interview is the time I got to spend with the student athletes. And just in that short time of speaking with them, you know, I, I could tell right off the bat that they were a group that wanted to win. Um, they were ready for some change culturally and, and some changes to the way, you know, they trained and, and, and the fitness and, and all the little pieces that kind of put together. And, you know, I, I said to the group when I arrived, if you guys buy in, we could do some really great things. And I give the captains um, and the seniors of that first year in 2015 a, a lot of credit um, because they bought in and, and they um, they were excited about the you know change which sometimes is very stressful and you know anytime there's change it, it's a stressful time and, and and can be in a stressful environment but they um, they bought in and um, you know we were able to get to work right away and um, you know that first year I think they all started to see how much potential as a group they had um, you know based on our results and you know the first time we played Boston it was I believe our first league game we lost um, four nothing and we got on the bus to go back to Bucknell and I was sitting in my seat saying man are we that far off and and kind of a little worried but um, their response to that result was fantastic and after that we kind of got on a mission and we matched up with Boston again in the finals up there um, and we lost one nothing with four minutes to go in the game and it was heartbreaking but I think it showed how far we'd come and also left a little bit of bitter sour taste in your mouth to say hey we are that close, and, and if we get to work, you know, this group has a chance to, to make some really good things happen. And that happened. That next year, I mean, that must have fueled everything. Set a school record for wins, win the Patriot League tournament, go the NCAA. Um, did you sense going into that year it was going to be that kind of a year, or just looking back on it, were there any telltale signs? Um, you know, I think after having the year we had in 15 where we did make it to the finals and we lost, there was that sour and bitter taste in, in the player's mouth. But you never know if, if you know, they get complacent with, hey, we made it to the finals, that was great. Um, but they didn't. They, they didn't put their – they didn't take their foot off the gas um, that next spring. They worked incredibly hard, um, carried throughout into the summer. Uh, the group came in really fit um, that summer before and, and were ready to go. And, um, you know, I think after having the success that they had the previous year, knew that, you know, they had the confidence, um, but at the same time still had to work incredibly hard to accomplish what they did. Were you the hunted then? Did you sense other teams were saying, hey, this is an up-and-coming program, we need to beat them? 
Um, I think after 15, I think we surprised a few teams, but I don't know that we were the hunted just yet. Um, you know, I think that um, maybe after 16 a little bit we were the hunted, but, uh, you know, I think we still had, um, you know, hadn't proven ourselves completely um, going into that 2016 season. Speaking of proving yourselves, you always have a difficult schedule. That next year you did, you, you always put forth challenges to the team. That team was ready for that challenge. I mean, it wasn't easy for sure, but they did have a great year. And and to win the Patriot League tournament back-to-back years, that is not easy, is it? No, I think it speaks to the the group's leadership and and their drive in the offseason. We had a a tremendous group of talented players, but also players that were um, good leaders and and just really hard workers that – held each other accountable and held themselves accountable, which allowed us to have the success that we had. Um, you know, so I think that those pieces were really important. Um, and, you know, I, you speak to the non-conference schedule, and, you know, I think in 17 um, we had a very tough schedule. Um, but, you know, previously we had advanced in 16 to play Penn State and really, you know, I thought didn't, didn't show well at all in the NCAA tournament. And so my goal in scheduling for 17 was to face some opponents you know, of Penn State's caliber. So if we were fortunate enough to advance again, we would show better in that first round, um, prepared to play a top 25 opponent. Um, so I think our our, six, our 17 non-conference schedule prepared us a little bit better for that first round game. And, you know, still a very tough game facing the, the runner-up, uh, the 2016 runner-up, uh, West Virginia. But, you know, I was really happy with the way we approached it and just our mentality going into that game and the confidence that we played with. Obviously, your life has changed as you've been the coach here at Bucknell. One of those, you and your husband, Andrew, welcome a daughter and so forth. You know, Andrew has been a coach. He's coached at a different level. You've obviously been coaching here. How much has the addition of being parents and coaches, how tough is that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's challenging, I think, for anyone to, um, to you know, uh, our daughter Willis, six months right now. And, you know, being a mom has been one of the most amazing experiences in my life. I can honestly say it was the best moment of my life. Um, uh, and, you know, I think it, I'm so fortunate to have a husband um, who's supportive of my career and, um, you know, the travel that entails with recruiting and, and on being on the road in season and, um, you you know, he is, he's given up uh, coaching a little bit um, to, to be at home more. Um, so I'm really grateful that he, you know, has done that for me. And, you know, it's definitely challenging. Um, Will has been on the sidelines. She, uh, she's been to uh, almost every game, maybe not all the road games, but a couple road games. And so um, I'm, I'm so happy she gets to grow up surrounded by the positive role models, the young women that attend Bucknell. And I know she's going to have many, many uh, role models to look up to in her time growing up so you know it's definitely a special thing to, to raise a daughter um, among the 27 women that I get to work with but um, you know I, I you have to give a lot of credit to my husband who takes a, a lot of the daddy duty um, and, and, and overnights and things like that so it's been an amazing experience. Before we let you go Coach Cook what do you where do you see you Andrew Willa and then the team five years down the road or ten years down the road. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely love um, the experience at Bucknell. The student athlete um, is, you know, the type that I'm wanting to work for, um, with, and you know, it's it's a great 
place to raise a family. So, you know, where I see the program, well, I hope there's some more championships. Um, but, you know, I think the, um, the fit is a great fit for our family. And my husband loves his teaching job and I'm very happy here. And um, the only thing I'll ask is a few more championships. So we've got some work to do today at practice to get ready for Navy this weekend. But, um, uh, you know, I'm very happy with, uh, with our life here and, and where the program's headed is, is a great direction. Kelly, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate your time on our podcast. Thank you very much, Doug. All right, Kelly Cook, the head women's soccer coach at Bucknell. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll have our final segment coming up on the You Heard It Here podcast. We're ready for our final segment of the You Heard It Here podcast. And this segment, of course, is our student athlete spotlight. And boy, talk about a spotlight. This young lady has been in the spotlight since the first time she basically walked onto the Buckdale campus from the track and field program javelin thrower extraordinaire Mara Fiamuncini. Mara, thank you for joining us here and for your time. Thank you for having me. You have, I mean, from the get-go, from the very first time, there were a lot of expectations and so forth on you. Um, we'll talk about that as we go along with this podcast. But first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you grew up not too far away, um, so you probably had heard of Bucknell and so forth. Um, you're a very, very talented athlete, played a lot of different sports. What sports did you participate in in high school? Uh, yeah, in high school, I actually just participated in track and field and basketball, Um Growing up, I played baseball, softball, and soccer as well. Where did you get your athleticism from? Is it your family members? I would say it's definitely my family members. Um, my mom and dad would probably argue which one it is exactly, but yeah, definitely my family. Uh, who would you say? Or do you want to not want to pick sides? I don't think I'm going to pick sides on that one. <laughs> Smart decision. Um, you played basketball in high school and, of course, on track and field team. You were very good at basketball. Did you have an, an inkling you thought you might go to college and play basketball? Yeah, basketball was my first passion. I mean, I played it since I was five years old. And growing up, I kind of thought I was going to play basketball in college and then track and field. You know, everything just fell into place and it worked out. So track and field, you also participated in that. Did you only start that in high school or did you do some things in junior, middle school or anything? Yeah, in middle school I played softball and then I made the transition into track and field freshman year of high school. I'm going to guess you participated in a lot of different events because of your athleticism in track and field. In high school, what different events did you participate in other than the javelin? I did everything from uh, the 100 meter to the 800 to long jump and then obviously javelin. <laughs> did you enjoy all the other ones? I really enjoy the other ones. And then at one point, I decided to just give all the other events up and focus on jab. I think that was my senior year, and I was kind of upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> what made you make that decision where people saying, hey, if you focus on javelin, you have a chance of maybe going to college and being on a track and field team there? Yeah, I guess it kind of just set in that I would have a future in javelin over the other events. Now, how did you, when did you first pick up a javelin? When did you first learn to throw a javelin? I first started throwing jab, obviously, freshman year of high school when I started track. And, um, you know, it was just one of those events where the coach said you should give it a try, and everything worked out. What made you, I guess, such a good javelin thrower in your mind? I would say my background in baseball and softball helped. Now, is, that, is it a very similar throwing motion or not necessarily? 
it's not necessarily a similar motion, but I guess it's the same uh, fast twitch muscles and just the muscle memory of the throw, I guess. Now, did your mom or dad, did, did they participate in track and field or in the javelin in particular? No, my parents, uh, well, my dad played baseball growing up and my mom played softball. So they were pretty disappointed when I made the transition to track and field, but... Yeah, they didn't do ja- uh, they didn't throw javelin. Um, were there other javelin throwers on the high school team? Yeah, we had a couple other javelin throwers, uh, probably like four or five guys and four or five girls. And did you learn from them? Even though I know you were very good, obviously, and it did you learn from them? Did they all learn from each other? Yeah, we all learned from each other as we were going. I mean, I think that's one of the best tools at practice is being able to watch each other. So uh, when you take a look at it starting out. Did you know pretty quickly that you were going to be pretty good at throwing the javelin? Um, I wouldn't say I knew at that moment. I guess near the end of my freshman or sophomore year, I started to realize my potential, but um, I didn't really know what a javelin was or what was a good throw freshman year. So, What kind of coaching did you receive there in high school? So my coach actually went to Penn State and threw javelin. Um, she was a very good coach. I still stay in contact with her all the time. She comes to a lot of the meets. She came out to Oregon to watch me throw. So she was definitely very experienced and had a wealth of knowledge. How much did that help you? Oh, that helped tremendously, especially coming into college, just having a background on most of the technique. When you talk about technique, what do you do? Like, what is the technique, if there's an easy way to describe it for the layperson like myself? <laughs> I guess the technique is just trying to get... Um, as much of a pull on the javelin, which means trying to keep your arm back while, um, I guess, getting your hips forward and through the throw. Is it tough? Yeah, that's probably the toughest part of the throw is just staying back on it and being patient. Could you have participated in the 100 meter or something in college? Do you feel like you could? Or do you, with the people like on the Bucknell track and field team right now that run some of those events or participate in some of those events you did in high school, do you think you couldn't be competitive? Or could you if you trained it? I don't think I could be competitive in any other event but Jav. (laughs) (laughs) But you would like to, though, wouldn't you? I mean, is it kind of tough to only focus on javelin? Yeah, you know, giving up uh, the other events that I did in high school was a pretty tough decision, and I really enjoyed doing them. But, you know, uh, Jav is just something to fall back on, and it's nice. Now, of course, you did, did you all win state? I know you won state titles. Did the team win any state titles when you were there? No, the team didn't win any state titles. But you tried. I mean, you participated <laughs> in a lot of different... Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you brought a lot of points to the team, didn't you? Yeah, we had... Um, I think we had some hurdlers and um, a couple distance runners make it to states as well. It's kind of tough, though. You have to probably have more than that to be able to win as a team yeah. at the state, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we had a pretty small team in high school, so... Uh, it was kind of tough for us to make it make a run in states. But you made a run in states, obviously. You did very well winning states. Um, what was that experience like? How much did that help you to be in that kind of bright spotlight? Yeah, that experience just helped um, coming to, like, league championships here and uh, national meets just to kind of get the experience of a bigger meet under your belt. I know you were heavily recruited, Buckdale, of course, being one of those. What other schools did you look at? Uh, I was looking at Penn State for a little while, as well as Duke. Now, was it a tough decision to say, I'm going to go to Bucknell, or was it a pretty easy one to make? It was a somewhat easy decision, just because of how close it was to home. I mean, it's nice my parents can come out to a couple meets, and I was just kind of looking for a small school, while Duke and Penn State are much larger. So. And much further away. I mean, you know, Penn State, not too awful far away. How about your family? I mean, you mentioned your mom and dad. Your whole family, they mean a lot to you, don't they? 
yeah, my parents and obviously my whole entire family mean a lot. So it's just nice to be so close to home. And then when you take a look at being able to see them in the stands, how much does that encourage you or, or help you to spur on just for home meet? Yeah, it's very comforting to have them uh, watching in the stands just because they've been watching me compete since I was five years old in all sports. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. What about the transition from high school to college? Was it about what you expected? Was it more difficult or, or less difficult? I would say it was actually less difficult than I expected. Um, one of the most challenging parts was just lifting because I wasn't very experienced with that in high school, but everything else was a pretty smooth transition. Of the people you face, whether it's in the Patriot League or and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, the national scope, did you know some of those? Is Javelin a really tight-knit community where you pretty much know the top 10, 15 in the country, maybe even the world? Yeah, now that I've been competing uh, in college for the past couple years, I've uh, made a couple friends and like I can recognize a couple people at meets, but coming in freshman year, I didn't know anyone. Were you wide-eyed when you came to Bucknell the first time? Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> what about the academic as well as the athletic side? Was it a challenge for you? Academics was a bit of a challenge at first, just trying to balance everything between you know school and practice, but um, I think just getting down into routine helped. How, who individually has helped you on the javelin side here at Bucknell? I would say uh, Coach Megan Balaam and Coach Frake have helped tremendously. You got thrown right into it. I mean, and you, like one of your very first beats, maybe in your first at Virginia, you had an awesome throw. Was that good or was it, did it put too much pressure on you to do it so early in your career? It put a bit of pressure, I guess, on the rest of the season and just to try and, you know, get back up to uh, that throw. But it was nice to know what, what I was capable of doing. And it also put you in a provisional spot for the postseason for the championships, the NCAAs. How much did that help to get that out of the way? Yeah, that definitely uh, relieved some pressure in terms of the national meet. Um, coming into my season freshman year, I wasn't really sure what to expect in terms of nationals or Patriot Leagues. I wasn't sure of who was in the league, who was uh, throwing what at nationals. So, you know, that was just a mark that was able to, you know, bring a little comfort. Then, once you did that, did you think, well, Patriot Leagues shouldn't be too difficult? Or did you just, again, go back to every meet individually and just build your way up to the Patriot League, NCAA, regionals, etc.? Yeah, my focus was just taking uh, meets one at a time and basically just whatever happens, happens. Was that similar to the approach you took in high school? Yes, I would say it's pretty similar. <laughs> so not a whole lot has changed, I guess, in some ways, right? Yeah, I guess my outlook on um, just the sport itself hasn't really changed much. What has changed? Yeah, I guess just the, te you know, the technique of the throw and um, just being able to work on the sport all year round has made such a difference. Does that make it good to work year-round, or do you get bored working the same thing year-round? Uh, I mean, there's benefits and there's downsides to it, you know. Doing javelin all year-round can get um, a little boring. I mean, we're stuck inside sometimes, and at times I do miss playing my other sports, but uh, when it comes down to it, you know, in June, when um, we're going to national meets and other meets, like, all the work you put in just pays off. As we said, you won the Patriot League your freshman year, first year here, and then you went to the NCAAs, you went to regional and then nationals. Um, how was that process? Was it a lot of eye-opening experiences? I would say it was very eye-opening, but um, I guess I could compare it to my freshman year of high school. 
Um, I qualified for states as a freshman in Javelin, and uh, it was basically the same feeling. I mean, I didn't know anyone at states. I didn't know anyone at nationals, so very similar. Now, of course, you had to take a plane flight to be able to go to the nationals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Had you ever flown in a plane before? I've actually never been on a plane before that, so that was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> did that make it more exciting, or did it make it a little bit more nervous in the whole experience looking back on it? I guess more exciting to keep the a little bit of the focus off jab. And so is that the case for an athlete like yourself or any athlete? Is it better to take your mind off of these things or is it better to always be grinding and focusing on that or is it kind of a combination? I would say it's definitely a combination um, of just knowing when to focus in and um, knowing when to put like a bad meat behind you or something. Now you did very well in the nationals. Did you do as well as you expected that first year, your freshman year, or did you feel like you left something out there you could have done even better? I was very happy with how freshman year ended. Um, but I definitely think I had more at that point, so which is good to know. How much different was the national event, either regional or then the, the national, compared to the Patriot League? I mean, obviously a lot more media, a lot more exposure, a lot more people, higher competition, to be quite honest. But what were other, some of the other things that you noticed um, that made it different? Um, I honestly didn't notice much of a difference other than just having a larger crowd and better competition. That's about all. Were you nervous? Or are you nervous before any meet? I guess um, I'm more nervous probably for the Patriot League meet than the NCAAs because um, coming into freshman year, one of my goals is to win a Patriot League outdoor championship as a team. So uh, I guess that's more of a focus. So wow, That's pretty cool. Um, when you take a look at the Nationals and how well you did, and then you had to prepare for the world that after your freshman year. Was everything happening almost in a blur to you? Everything definitely happened in a blur at that point, and I wish I could go back and experience it all over again, but um, it's something that I'm very grateful for, and it's actually my first time out of the country as well, so uh, yeah, it was just a great experience. What did your family think about all that? Your first plane ride, and then your first time out of the country, were they almost nervous for you? I would say my mom was ner more nervous than I was for anything, but... Um, Definitely just blessed and happy that I was able to experience everything I did. Now, what about that world, that, that opportunity in the Worlds? Um, great, great competition. Did you know anybody from the Nationals here in this country that went over there as well? No, I actually didn't know anyone. Um, the other girl that was on the team was still a senior in high school at that point. So um, we obviously contacted each other a couple weeks before uh, going out, but other than that, I didn't know anyone. What about, you know, you had a plane flight for the first time, then you get to go across the, almost halfway across the world. How tough was that plane flight? Uh, that was a pretty tough flight. It was about eight or nine hours, I believe. Um, we competed on one of the first few days that we were there, so it was uh, pretty tough just because of jet lag, but um, yeah, it was definitely a great experience. How did you feel like you did, looking back on it? Did you feel like you left something out there like you did your freshman year, looking back on it in the NCAAs? Yeah, I actually had pretty similar results at uh, NCAAs that I did at the World Championships. So I was a little upset with that, but um, again, an experience to compete at a national level and then a world level is just something that I'll uh, always be grateful for. How much did that experience, both those experiences, help you going into last year, you feel? 
Last year, I was definitely uh, more comfortable going into every meet that I competed at just because of, uh, you know, the level of competition that was at Worlds and Nationals. You know, it's just nice to have the experience under your belt. You know, uh, I don't remember two years ago. They may have been. I'm sure they were on, like, ESPN3 or something. But I was watching. You are in the office uh, last year when you were competing in the NCAAs. Um, did you feel like there was more pressure that second year or less because of your prior experiences? I would say there is definitely, like, I put less pressure on myself, but um, more pressure to, I guess, uh, do well or place higher than the previous year. Which you did. <laughs> and you could have placed even a little bit higher um, if just a couple of things would have fallen in place and they had a couple of nice throws from some other young ladies that moved them ahead. Were you disappointed or were you happy with your results? I was, um, I guess, a little bit of both. Um, I guess for this year, I'd just like to place in the top eight of nationals. Is that a possibility, you feel? I feel like that's definitely possible considering uh, the past two years and where we're at in terms of training right now. And I know there's a really good javelin thrower, I think it was high school, maybe even from the state of Pennsylvania, who will be in college this year. And there are quite a few coming back from last year. Did you get to talk to very many or if any of your competitors last year? I was able to speak to a couple of my competitors at um, the ECAC meet, first round and second round. So it was nice to, you know, see some familiar faces from freshman year. Do you get along well with your competitors, or are you trying to always get the edge mentally or whatever? No, Javelin's kind of, um, Javelin's one of the events where everybody just gets along for the most part. Um, have you tweaked the way you throw or anything because of your experiences? I've basically uh, tried to keep the same technique, you know, since I've started throwing, which I think has been more beneficial than anything. Now, of course, this is another busy year for you. Is it this year that the Olympics come up, uh, Olympic trials? Yeah, Olympic trials will be uh, this summer, so that's another one of the goals is to qualify for that. But first things first, the Patriot leg. Yes. <laughs> but you don't get to participate in the indoor. Do you wish that there was somehow some way to have an indoor javelin? Oh, I wish there was some way to do an indoor javelin or I was, uh, you know, good enough at another event to be able to participate. So it's just the grind. You and... Uh, not all the throwers. I mean, you know, you have shot put. They can participate in a hammer indoors and so forth. But it's just a grind, I guess, at this time of the year, isn't it? It's basically a grind from October to March. So I'm just uh, patiently waiting for March to come. <laughs> Is it tough to wait that long, though? It's tough, but it's also nice to be able to uh, focus in on certain parts of the throw. If we want to make any big technical changes, we definitely have the time to. Will you or do you don't think you need to? I probably won't make any huge changes, just try and um, buckle down on the technique for the most part. Now, you do get to go outside up until about October, um, but when you're inside, can you still work on technique? We can definitely still work on technique with the indoor javelins, and uh, a lot of the focus then becomes just conditioning and throwing medicine balls and stuff like that. You mentioned Coach Frake, but there are other throwers, shot, discus, hammer, etc., is it tough for him to be able to get around all of the individual throwers on the team? I would say once we come inside, it's actually easier considering we're all in uh, such a small space together. But, um, you know, I think he does a great job of it outside as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, we mentioned NCAAs, of course, Patriot League first, NCAAs, then the Olympic trials. How much do you think that'll be similar or different than your experience at the world? I think it'll be um, pretty similar to the world championships, but... Obviously, better uh, 
competition, uh, considering we have everyone from all ages now being able to compete instead of it just being uh, U20. But um, I think that experience will definitely help me. Do you feel pretty confident you can, you know, are you even looking that far ahead to say I want to make the team or just do the best I can? Uh, right now, I'm just trying to qualify for the trials, and anything that happens after that would be great. <laughs> well, now, what about your mate? Do you have you picked a major yet? Yes, I'm a math major. Okay. Do you want to be a teacher one day, or do you have other plans? Uh, right now, I think uh, I want to go into data analytics. Oh, really? Would you like to stick around this area, or wherever the job may take you? Wherever the job takes me, that's where I'll go. <laughs> Do you think looking down the road, Mara, that you might want to continue? Because, I mean, you can continue throwing the javelin even if you have a 9-to-5 job or whatever. That's how most of the Olympic athletes do participate. Would you like to do that? I haven't really thought about uh, participating in javelin after school, but um, I guess if I get to that level, it's something to think about. What would it take to get to that level? I would say um, probably throwing near 60 meters. Uh, would definitely put me at that level, and that would uh, qualify me for uh, the Olympics in Japan. But, um, yeah, again, we'll see what happens at the end of the year. <laughs> Do you think you're capable of that? Uh, I mean, I would hope so. I'm not really sure what I'm capable of at uh, this point. It's kind of like coming into freshman year. I wasn't uh, sure what I'd throw there. So. Uh, overall, are you happy so far a year and a half into your experience here at Bucknell? Very happy with all the experiences I've had so far. I tell you what, you're a joy to be around. You really represent Buckdale in so many areas so very well. Your parents need to be proud of you. I know they are. And I want to thank you for your time, Mara. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Our student athlete spotlight, Mara Fiamoncini of the Women's Track and Field Program at Buckdale. That will wrap up the You Heard It Here podcast. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. So long, folks. You've been listening to You Heard It Here. Stay tuned for another episode coming soon. <laughs>